0: The text that calls for our attention this Lord's Day is actually all three of our readings for today, each as they reveal to us the nature of our God as triune. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm sure that each of you on some occasion has heard one of the variations of the classic how many people does it take to change a light bulb joke. They go something like this. How many actors does it take to change a light bulb? Well, only one, because they don't like to share the spotlight. (laughs) Or how about this one? How many Germans does it take to change a light bulb? Well, only one, because we're very proficient, and there's nothing funny about that. (laughs) Or perhaps the one that strikes closest to home, how many Lutherans? Does it take to change a light bulb? Change? <laughs> well, today let us ask a similar question of our readings for this day. Let us ask this question How many persons of the Trinity does it take to create the world? How many persons of the Trinity does it take to redeem the world? How many persons of the Trinity does it take? To make all things holy? You know, as we usually confess the Apostles' Creed, we might think that the answer to each of those questions is that it takes one person in each case. After all, the Apostles' Creed seems to give primary credit to creation to God the Father. It seems to give primary credit for redemption to the Son. And it gives credit for the making of us holy. To God, the Holy Spirit. And yet, as that Athanasian Creed taught us at length today, we are told that we are not to go about dividing the substance of God. What does that mean? Well, it means that we're not to speak about God other than by saying that he is one. And so we should not speak of God as if one person is doing something and the others have no idea it's going on, or that they're not cooperating in it. For that might give the impression that right down to the core of God's nature, there is a division, and that he's not really just one, but perhaps is three. Of course, that same Athanasian Creed told us that we're not to confound the persons of the Trinity. And again, what does that mean? Well, it means that we don't speak about one person of the Trinity doing something that the scriptures teach us the other person truly did. In other words, we don't say that God the Father died on the cross. We don't say that God the Son was poured out on Pentecost Day. So you got it all now? Or should we go through the creed one more time? Well, instead, let us just continue to ask those questions of our text let us ask our text, so to speak, how many persons of the Trinity it takes to create us, to redeem us, and to sanctify us. Our first text took us back way to the beginning, took us back to the beginning of the Scriptures and the beginning of this heaven and earth. It is the account of creation itself. And we must admit that for the most part, we see there God the Father doing his work of creating. He is the one who speaks. He is the one that dips his finger in the dust to make man. He is the one that calls creation good. And yet, we should not act as if he is alone in the work of creation. After all, if you were listening, our text explicitly tells us that the Spirit of God was there hovering over the waters in the beginning. And the rest of scriptures makes it very clear that the very word of God that was so powerful to bring all things into being, that word of God was Jesus, the Son of God himself. All three persons were involved, and yet each person doing their own part. And that is how the Trinity works. Our second reading for the day really took us to the heart of how God redeemed all people. And there again, I just said, God. But is that right to speak that way without distinction? Again, we tend to think right away when we think of redemption of one person of the Trinity. Our minds tend to go to Jesus dying on the cross to redeem us from sin, death, and the devil. But did he do the work of redemption alone? Hardly. Our text for the day tells us that not only did God the Father send the Son but it was also God the Father who raised up Jesus from the dead. It goes on to tell us that the Spirit was the one who had to be poured out in order that all the good gifts that Christ had earned for us could be delivered to each one of us personally. Again, all three persons are involved, and yet each one doing their own part. And that is how the Trinity works. And then there was our gospel reading. There, Jesus, the Son of God, is speaking, but he's truly speaking about the work of the Spirit in the church. For there, Jesus is about to leave, and he gives this great commission to his apostles and to his church, that they should go out and make disciples of all people. So yes, Jesus is speaking, but he's speaking about the work that the Spirit will do in the church. Unless we want to leave the Father out, Jesus makes clear That all this baptizing and teaching is not to happen just in one person of the Trinity's name. But rather it is all to be done in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So yes, even when it comes to the making holy work of God, all the persons are involved. And yet each one doing his own part. That is how the Trinity works. But now the big question... Why does any of this matter? Am I worried as your pastor that a bunch of you are daily considering giving up the doctrine of the Trinity? Do I think that maybe you guys are considering sort of survivor type style votes to maybe get rid of one person of the Trinity at the end of the day? No, I don't think that's really the issue. No, when we're gathered here together... The Trinity seems like a doctrine in which there is little disagreement. We treasure our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So then why should we care? Why stop to have a Trinity Sunday at all? Well, I would suggest there are two key reasons. First, speaking of God rightly is something we owe to the one who has given us all good things. We should speak rightly of him if we are his children and we are his representatives in the world. And so we want to speak of him just as the scriptures speak of him. And that's especially true in a world that seems to give us so much confusion and misinformation about the nature and the word of God. First, we should, as the Creed says, not confound the persons of the Trinity, speaking as if one person did an action that another did. For that would only further confuse our world who's trying to understand what we believe in the first place. And certainly, we also should not, again, divide the substance of God. For that could give someone the impression that we worship three gods as Christians, rather than just one. Unless you think that never happened, Just go and talk to a Muslim person that is just coming to know what Christians believe. They will often accuse the Christians of worshiping three gods. We ought not be careless about how we speak about God, because if we are careless, other people might be right to suggest that we are careless because we don't care about who God is and what his nature is. It is proper that we should always speak of the one we claim to love just as the scriptures do. But perhaps even more importantly, we should care about the nature of our God because as we confessed again today, it is only the triune God who has saved us. No no other so-called God has come to our aid and no, not even just one person of the Trinity accomplished it. The whole triune God is our savior. And as we said in the Athanasian Creed today, if one does not believe the whole trinity, they will not be saved. As Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through him. Or as another place in the scripture tells us, no one can come to Jesus unless the Holy Spirit gives him that faith to believe. Yes, only belief in the triune God is the kind of faith that receives all the gifts of God. And that contention in our world is really not one that is thought well of. To claim that one must believe in the triune God is becoming more and more an issue every day. You see, Muslims claim that no one can be saved if they do claim the triune God. And with this, the Jews, the religious Jews at least, would agree with the Muslims There is no other religion on earth that allows for one to believe that God is both one and yet three persons. And why do they hate that doctrine so much? Because they do not want to confess Jesus as the Son of God who takes (laughs) away the sins of all people. And if you do not have Jesus, well, then you do not have the Father or the Spirit. Again, I doubt very few of you are actively looking for a different religion to join, that you're out there trying to figure out which one might be best for you. But we should not be so naive as to think that there aren't people in our midst that are doing just that. And by our midst, I don't necessarily mean our congregation, but our communities. For indeed, in our day and age, you can listen to the best teachers of any religion just with a click of a button on your computer or a finger tap on your smartphone. In our day and age, if you want to go to any house of worship of any major religion, even living where we do, within a couple hours, you could probably find a house of worship of almost any religion in the world. And so while I'm not really concerned that every day you guys are looking for that, we should remember that the world is changing and that the religions of the world that are false religions are competing for the minds of God's people. But I think far more tempting for each of us is simply to embrace a rather nondescript God, a God that has almost no particular nature or characteristic. For you see, this is the God that is often talked about in the public square in America— it is a God that is spoken of with almost no specificity ever given about him. Yes, it is the God that is named at interfaith gatherings where Muslim imams and Jewish rabbis and Christian clergy rise to pray one after another, acting as if they all believe in the same God. It is the God referenced when some military chaplains in our day speak about God without any reference to Jesus and his saving (coughs) work, turning God simply into nothing more than a glorified cheerleader for our country. It happens when our presidents decide that they will invoke God, but do so in a way that no one listening would be offended. They do that precisely by not giving too many details about who they're talking about. Yes, we are far more tempted to decide that that idea about God is okay to embrace. We are tempted to believe that as long as people are somehow spiritual and reference a belief in some God, well then they are okay. But that's certainly not what we confessed in the Athanasian Creed today, and none of our readings would allow such a thought either. We confess that if one does not confess that they believe in one God in three persons, they are not okay. If they cannot speak of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they will not be saved. And not just them, but us as well. If we were ever to stop confessing the Trinity, we too would not be okay and would not be saved. Because you see, if there's no Trinity, there's no Jesus. And if there's no Jesus, there is no salvation. We're simply stuck in our sin. So today, let us admit that we often probably take the doctrine of the Trinity just for granted. Rather than trying to truly think on it and then profess it to others, let us admit that each year we kind of grit our teeth and make it through that Athanasian creed. We might also want to admit to God that sometimes our frustration with the details of who God is and how the scriptures tell us to speak of him is a sign that we don't on a day-to-day basis care as much as we should about the nature of the God who has given us everything. For if you truly love someone, you want to know more and more about them. And that is how we should act towards our God as well, seeking to soak in every last bit of wisdom about God that the scriptures have to offer. So today we do... As we do every time we gather, we humble ourselves before that almighty God. And as we do so, he lifts us up. He lifts us up with the forgiveness of sins and life eternal that Jesus has won for us on the cross. When we come here today seeking forgiveness in life, well, thank goodness the whole Trinity is involved. The Father gives you the gifts of the Son, and he does it through his Holy Spirit. All three persons are involved, and yet each one is doing their own part of the work. Doing that work to save you from your sins and deliver to you all the gifts of Jesus. That's how the Trinity works. Blessedly, that is how the Trinity works. He works together to save you and me. Amen.